0: As we're joined now by Antonine Pierre of Brooklyn Movement Center, which is part of the Communities United for Police Reform Movement. Antonine, thanks for joining me here on WBAI. This is Ben Max of Gotham Gazette. How are you?
1: Ben, thanks for having me
0: on. Thank you very much for joining us. And I do want to mention before we get into our conversation, I said it at the top of the show. We had invited uh, NYPD Commissioner James O'Neill on the program. We had a lot of interest from his spokespeople. They were not able to, in the end, make it happen for him to join us today but i want to make sure folks listening know that that invitation was extended as well and we're hoping to hear from the police commissioner in the coming weeks but uh today we're going to hear from antonine pierre and uh antonine tell us a little bit about brooklyn movement center before we really get into the the details of of police reform and the mayor's record and what happened and didn't happen in albany um tell us a little bit about brooklyn movement center
1: Yeah, absolutely. So BMC is a hyper-local community organizing group, and we're based in central Brooklyn, which we define as Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights. And our work really revolves around centering the black leadership in the neighborhood and developing organizing campaigns around the issues that people want to improve in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights.
0: And say a little bit more about centering black leadership. I I, uh, have seen that along with the police accountability work and police reform work, um, you know, issues of housing and gentrification have certainly been uh, central to to Brooklyn Movement Center's work. Um, We want to focus mostly on police reform here, but uh, can you say a little bit about what that work uh, looks like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about, Central Brooklyn we think about how we actually do organizing work that's going to improve people's lives it's hard to just work on one issue because we live multi-issue lives right so that means that Our work has centered on education, on gender-based tree harassment, we've done citizen journalism work, and we understand that what is most vital is to be be a political home for black leadership in the neighborhood, particularly as these neighborhoods are under attack when it comes to gentrification, right? As uh, many of the... Black homeowners and longtime residents of the neighborhood are actually getting pushed out. So we see ourselves in some ways as sort of the, a last bastion against the changes that are coming and have been coming for longtime black residents in the neighborhood.
0: And what does that what does a little bit of that work look like uh, to to sort of try to stave off the negative uh, consequences of gentrification? Is that about um trying to educate people in the community about certain things? Is it about trying to affect city policy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a, a lot of our work is around um, affecting city policy as well as self-determination work. So, for example, our food justice working group has evolved into the Central book and food co-op, which, is really really looks at how do we ensure that people who have lived in a gentrified neighborhood for a long time can have access to great, healthy food. Um, and when we say access, we mean not just a store opening in their neighborhood, but we mean a place where the food is actually, the, the cost is accessible, that it's really a community center that offers um it's really a community center that offers childcare and cooking lessons, right, that we try to look at solutions that both can be within our community and also outside of our community. So a lot of our police reform work has been, how do we actually work on big policy changes at the city and state level that are going to affect the lives of people in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights?
0: So let's move into the the police reform work um, before we get into some of the specifics. um What's your overall assessment at this point in Mayor Bill de Blasio's tenure um, of what he has and hasn't done on police reform? It was clearly one of the top, I would say, two, if not three, uh, perhaps, uh, issues that he ran on. Uh, Certainly focused on curbing the use of stop and frisk policing, um, but he talked about police reform more broadly um, when he first ran for mayor. So at this point, almost halfway through a second term, um, what's your general assessment?
1: yeah, I think the the Mayor has actually done a really great job on rhetoric about um, policing and rhetoric about police accountability, where I think we as police advocates and the Mayor's administration would disagree is how much of that rhetoric has actually been realized in policies that will affect people's lives. So, what we as we push for police accountability on lots of different fronts, right? Whether that's passing the right to know act, which um, um which for um, requires police officers to give an ID card when they stop people and end unconstitutional searches by police, or if we're talking about recourse for families of people who are who have been killed by police like Eric Garner or Ron Smalls or Saheed Vassal, What we find is we face considerable opposition from the mayor's office, from the mayor's administration, um, which is in conflict with the rhetoric, the really good and exciting and inspiring rhetoric sometimes that he shares about policing. And the policing conversation with the mayor's administration often gets reduced to, let's have NCOs, let's have neighborhood policing.
0: Right. So de Blasio says we've retrained the police force in de-escalation we're we're retraining in implicit bias we've launched neighborhood policing uh what else we're um you know we've reduced uh arrests by tens of thousands every year uh, but you're saying that all is is po- positive but there's key missing pieces
1: oh absolutely mm-hmm. so what we find is that when you know, often when we talk about when the mayor talks about community policing, he says that um, we they they want people to know the names of the officers on their block, right? And what gets really hard about that is that that's not with what communities of color and queer folks, trans folks, immigrants who are constantly harassed by police, they're not asking to know the names of the officers who are harassing them. They're asking. If an officer harasses me, I want to see that person held accountable. That is the way that I know that the government actually cares that they're harassing me, right? So there's a a disconnect, you know, not just between the mayor and policing advocates, but there's a disconnect between the mayor and how communities actually experience policing on an everyday basis.
0: And he says that... um... Even if he's defensive about some of the accountability, as you indicated, officers not being removed from the force, uh, and we'll get into some of those specific examples in a moment, Um, but he said uh, he hears from people every day and, uh, you know, it's borne out in some of the arrest numbers that, you know, policing on the ground is far different uh, than it was. Is that your experience? Is that your organization's experience? Your coalition's experience? Has there been a demonstrable change in how policing is done on the ground in areas like Central Brooklyn?
1: I think what's really what's really difficult about that is that um, I think the the mayor's solutions around policing are very individualized, right? Like what we're looking for are these broad reforms. That um, will actually address the way that all officers police. So, when you know, so when you have the mayor talking about training folks, um, and what happens is you have these folks who are trained, for example, in crisis intervention, and then you have this case like in April of Kowalski Trawick, in who was killed in the Bronx um, by uh, one of the officers who who killed him had crisis intervention training, right? So when we talk about, like, what the demonstrable difference is, it's not going to come from training. It's going to come from policies that officers have to abide by. And if they don't abide by, they're held accountable.
0: Mm -hmm. And so let's talk, uh, let's let's go on to accountability then. So um, obviously, the highest profile uh, example of this is the death of Eric Garner. Uh, Officer Daniel Pantaleo, who uh, was sort of floating around in limbo for a really long time, continuing to collect a paycheck, even earning overtime at a desk job after he was took off, uh, taken off of active duty, uh, and then finally an NYPD administrative trial prosecuted by the C- uh, Civilian Complaint Review Board wrapped up recently, and we're waiting to, to find out the results of that speak a little bit about your perspective on how that was handled and what should have been uh, different in your,
1: in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at uh, Eric Garner, so this case of, of Eric Garner being killed is possibly, I think it's one of the highest profile cases of a police killing in the past decade. And the video of Eric Garner was seen around the world, right? And so when you, you have this case in your backyard and It's taken five years to have an administrative trial for one of the officers by the CCRB, which discounts all of the officers who were involved either on the scene or after Eric was murdered by the police. So what feels really difficult in this conversation is you know, when you put, you take the mayor's rhetoric, you take his, what he says about police accountability, what he says is important about police community relations, and you match it up with a family that's been grieving for five years without any recourse or any accountability, and now has some shot at accountability through the CCRB process, which they may not, you know, Eric Artis' family may not even find out the outcome of this trial because of a police secrecy law called 50A that exists at the state level, right? So... What we see here is, is there is a way that Mayor de Blasio has deprioritized really getting justice for Eric Garner's family, and that's systemic, right? So we also have Delron Smalls, who was uh, killed three years ago this month. We have Saeed Vassal, who was killed in April 2018 by the police. And all of the officers who killed these people have uh, remain on the force. They continue collecting paychecks, Pantaleo's paycheck is in six figures now. And the real question for the administration is, how do they go to families and say that we're interested in transparency and accountability without some real clear prioritizing of getting that transparency and accountability for those families?
0: And also add, you know, the the when there are deaths, uh, police-involved deaths, those obviously as the three examples you ju- or four examples you just named, and there's others over the last few years, um, those obviously become the most high profile. But we've also seen, you know, a variety of other examples and news reporting about lists of officers that repeatedly lie under oath or under investigation or uh, examples of brutality that don't rise uh, to death. Um There are real questions around how the department handles accountability across the board, not just in a police-involved death, but also uh, all the way down the line. And I I should add to that that you know Commissioner James O'Neill has been uh, defensive on that front quite a bit, but unable, uh, at least they say, to really support some of what they say because of that 50A law. So let's move into that in a second in terms of. Um, the state legislature and some of the agenda that you were hoping to see this year that that didn't move at the state level. Um, but it's important to note, you know, this issue of, of police accountability and transparency around it uh, really extends, you know, well beyond these most high-profile issues where there's police-involved deaths. And Commissioner O'Neill has said, I believe, on different occasions, that many officers have been removed from the force, but we don't necessarily find out about it. And that's something that I think advocates around this uh, 50A aspect of the civil rights law, uh, you know, really want to see change so we can get a lot more daylight there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's curious to say that many uh, police officers have been removed from the force only because many of the families who we've worked with, uh, BMC, CPR, our friends of the Justice Committee, um, have not seen justice, right? So to be able to to remove what I'm assuming are the 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 most um, egregious examples, right? To remove someone who was uh, acting under the influence, or um, um, I think in places where there is really egregious mis- and like clear misconduct, to remove those folks off the force, but not to remove folks who abuse power. To abuse of their, you know, being the only employees of the of the city who are allowed to use deadly force, that really sends a message to people that it's okay. Um, so that feels really important. And under 50A, you know, 50A is really interesting because um, 50A, we, we call it the police secrecy law, right? Uh, New York State is one of two states, Delaware being the other, who have these laws that shield the um, police officers uh, disciplinary records from the public. And what feels really tough about this is that the there's a lot of leeway, there's a lot of discretion as to how 50 A can be used. And the mayor's administration, de Blasio's administration I should say, has used um, has worked with a really broad interpretation of 50 A that, that, as I mentioned before, like wouldn't doesn't even allow people who are um, Whose, whose family members have been killed by police to find out the outcomes of disciplinary trials. And that has not been the case under more recent mayors. So it is important to state the way that the mayor's uses 50A is very different. And uh, repealing 50A has been a part of our legislative agenda. And when I say our, I mean BMC as well as CPR's state legislative agenda. And some of the bills we were hoping to pass were to repeal 50A, uh, the Police Stat Act, which would allow for public reporting of racial disparities in police stops and police killings of civilians. And, you know, when we look at these two bills, they're fairly basic bill, right? Data and reporting. We want to know the numbers, right? We want to know demographics. And for the state legislature not to really prioritize and make possible this is passing a data bill and passing a bill to end police secrecy laws that are archaic throughout the union, throughout the the United States, it feels feels like the state legislature really missed an opportunity here to send a strong message that they're more interested in uh, serving communities than police.
0: And so on 50A, do you have any indication as to With the new Democratic control of both the the longstanding control of the state assembly, but now the new control of the state Senate, of course, under also a Democratic governor, why that wouldn't move. The mayor stated it as one of his top Albany priorities. He was successful in a variety of other of those priorities. Um, Any insights into why that was not uh, successful?
1: No, I, th- I think that's actually a great question for our state legislative leaders, mm-hmm. Andrea Stuart cousin and-, and Carl Hasty.
0: And we've got a couple more minutes here. So let's talk uh, about uh, something also coming up at the city level. This is the 2019 Charter Revision Commission. Uh, We reported at Gotham Gazette about a specific uh, reform to the CCRB, the civilian complaint review board, which investigates police misconduct and at times prosecutes cases like we're seeing uh, in the Daniel Pantaleo case around the death of Eric Garner. Um, There are certain potential reforms to the CCRB that this Charter Revision Commission is going to put before voters this November, but there's one particularly controversial one that we reported at Gotham Gazette that the mayor's administration and representatives on the commission actually wanted struck down, but it looks like it's moving ahead to the ballot, and that's something that you uh, have really advocated for. Will you explain that to listeners?
1: Yeah, yeah. We've advocated, and I really want to give a big prop to uh Iris Baez, mother of Anthony Baez, killed by police in 1994, um, and also um, the mother of Mohamed Ba, who was killed by police in 2012, who really, really fought and to the bitter end to make sure that this ballot initiative could come up. And the initiative, which I'm hoping, um, or I should say this, the, this ballot initiative, really allows the CCRB to prosecute police officers who in the course of an investigation make false statements. Um, so police officers who maybe were already being investigated, if they make a false statement, if they lie, then they would be prosecuted. They would, this, if this initiative passes, they would be prosecuted. And, you know, it's, it's curious, really, that the mayor's office fought this, particularly because of the rhetoric, the rhetorical dedication to transparency. So I'm, you know... I'm really looking forward to what the electorate has to say about this, particularly because um, I can't imagine why folks wouldn't want public police officers, public employees, police officers who are allowed to use deadly force to actually be held accountable if they lie in the course of a public investigation.
0: And their argument, uh, some of the folks have argued that these issues, if the CCRB flags them, they can be handled internally at the NYPD in terms of internal departmental investigations. Um, do you have insights into whether that actually happens? Um, is that something that we just don't know how often that happens because of some of the secrecy and the 50A that, that they, you know, uh, is used sometimes to, to hide those personnel records?
1: Yeah, I I don't have any kind of inclination of that. I think that would be something that we would ask the mayor's office and the NYPD to report more clearly on. And it feels here that um you know, it doesn't it doesn't seem enough, right? It doesn't seem like an adequate response to people who live in a city where the police are it, it feels to them, it feels to to civilians like the police are allowed to lie and kill people and do whatever they want without facing accountability. So, if there is accountability happening, that is actually the kind of transparency that people would want. And if it's if the mayor's administration isn't being transparent about it, then we have no other we have no other assumption to make that it's not happening.
0: Well, there's a lot of other uh, aspects of police reform work we could get to. We're out of time, but um, thank you for for all those thoughts uh, and for joining us. And we'll, of course, be following your work. Uh, Antonine Pierre of the Brooklyn Movement Center, which is part of Communities United for Police Reform, thanks so much for taking some time here on WBAI.
1: Thanks so much, Ben.
0: And we are now in our last moments of this week's show. We've uh, dug into a couple important topics, one much more... Uh, immediate in terms of looking at for the outcome of the Queens district attorney, democratic primary recount and one that has immediacy to it, of course, but is also a long ongoing, uh, struggle between among a variety of forces, which is of course, uh, what to do about policing in New York city and very interesting thoughts on the mayor's record. Um, I think as I indicated, some of the arguments that the mayor and his administration might make, uh, uh, but, you know, there's there's a lot to be dissected there in the coming uh, weeks and months, especially as we see the results of the departmental administrative trial of Daniel Pantaleo. If we see them, uh, I think it's assumed that at some point we will see them, but they don't have to be made public. And and that could, uh, could get quite interesting if we don't find out the results of that for quite a while. But we will return to these subjects and more. Thank you for listening here on WVI to another episode of Max and Murphy. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We will talk with you again next week.